Hello, Renoites listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of Renoites. My name is Connor McWibby. I'm your host, as always. Thank you so much for joining me. This week's episode is all about the Truckee River. One of my favorite things about Reno is that we have a river that runs right through the city from Lake Tahoe to Pyramid Lake, providing water for this entire region. The Truckee River is so essential, so important, and also just really enjoyable. I live very close to the river and just really appreciate having it as a fundamental part of our city. On this week's episode, I talked to Iris Jaley Papard, who is the executive director of One Truckee River, an organization that works to protect and maintain the Truckee River for our citizens and for future generations. We had a great conversation about various improvements along the Truckee River, things like bathrooms, vegetation management, controlling pollution, runoff from houses, a lot of really great tips about how we can all participate in protecting the Truckee. This week's episode is brought to you, as always, by DJ Trivia Sierra Nevada. If you haven't gone out to play trivia with DJ Trivia yet, I recommend that you do. It's a lot of fun. I host a couple nights a week at a couple different venues in town, but we have about 20-something venues. Sunday through Thursday, there's probably a game at a bar or restaurant in your neighborhood. You can go to DJTriviaNevada.com to find the full list of venues. Find a venue you like, find a host you like, come out and play. It's free, it's a lot of fun, and I hope I will see you there soon. This week's episode is also brought to you by This Is Reno. Local journalism is incredibly important, and I'm very grateful that This Is Reno is doing a good job of covering what's happening in our local news. This episode is coming out on Election Day, and This Is Reno had some of the best election coverage of the entire primary season. Bob Conrad from This Is Reno created several candidate panels, which were very informative and hosted by Connie Ray, who was also a guest on Renoites. Really grateful for the work that Bob is doing to make sure that the folks of Reno are staying informed about what's going on in our city. Local journalism is very important, so I hope you will support This Is Reno. You can find them at thisisreno.com. I've recently updated the Patreon for Renoites. If you would like to support the show financially, there's a very easy way to do that. You can go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com, slash Renoites, and sign up to be a financial supporter of the show. There are several different options from as low as three bucks a month. You know, that's less than a dollar an episode. It's a great way for you to say, hey, thanks for making the show, all the way up to 20 bucks a month for VIP plus level patrons who really want to help make this show financially sustainable. Every donation really means a lot to me. Please check out patreon.com slash renoites. And if you're willing to help throw a couple bucks in the tip jar to make the show financially sustainable, I would greatly appreciate it. Huge thanks to Emily from Growing Up Reno Tahoe, Vicky from DJ Trivia, Ben, Joaquin, John, Rachel, just to name a few. Thank you so much for contributing to help make this show financially sustainable. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com slash renoites. If you have any feedback about this episode or ideas for guests, suggestions for topics you might want to hear on the show, please, please reach out and let me know. Shoot me an email. My email address is connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com, or find me on social media, on Facebook or Instagram at Renoites. You can send me a message there. I love to hear from listeners. I want to make sure that this show is the best it can be. So let me know what you would like to hear. And now, this week's guest from One Truckee River, it's Iris Jaley Papard. Iris Jaley Papard, welcome to Renoites. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, I am excited to talk to you about the Truckee River. This podcast is about Reno, and I think one of my favorite things about Reno is that we have a wonderful water source. I've visited a lot of cities that don't have a lake or river. I lived in Las Vegas for a long time, which is very much a desert. And now I live right near the Truckee River, and it's one of my favorite features of the city. And you are the executive director of One Truckee River, which is an organization that is focused on the health and use of the Truckee River in good ways. So I think the best place to start is, can you tell me a little bit about what One Truckee River is and how it came to be. So what is the organization and kind of what is its background? One Truckee River is a nonprofit that manages a coalition of private and public entities to encourage everybody to do more for the Truckee River. 
it was originated from Keep Trucking Meadows Beautiful and Nevada Land Trust. They partnered together with this question of who's responsible for all of the different factors that affect the Truckee River. They took a year and went to multi-level government agencies like the Truckee Meadows Water Authority, Nevada Division of Environmental Protection, the three jurisdictions. It became clear that there's not one entity that has authority over all the things that affect the Truckee River. At that time, in 2013, there wasn't a management plan for the Truckee River. So those two organizations came together and brought together government agencies, nonprofits, a few businesses and residents over the course of three years, many meetings, workshops, forums to develop the One Truckee River Management Plan that is a guiding force for a lot of different challenges and opportunities that present themselves for the Truckee River. And then in 2016, the three jurisdictions unanimously approved the plan. And then I was hired in 2018 to support its implementation. What are the main goals of the management plan? I know there's a few key things that are focuses. What are the the main things that you are trying to do with One Truckee River? Yeah, the plan has four main goals. The first one is focused on water quality. The second one is focused on creating a thriving environment. The third one is education and outreach. And then the fourth one is about long-term management of the Truckee River. So how did you get involved? You said you were hired in 2018 to help kind of bring the plan into reality. Is that kind of what you do as executive director? And how did you come to be involved in this work? Well, I grew up in this area. And then when I was 18, I went to California for 20 years. And in that time, I started the nonprofit Everyone's Harvest in Monterey County that focuses on the thought that everybody deserves the right to eat fresh fruits and vegetables. That organization started and managed farmers markets in low-income communities and has a variety of community food programs that it runs now. I ran that for 15 years, and then I had kids, and I felt like it was important to come back to my hometown. After two years of just being a mom, you know, it was time to get back into my career, and I heard about the opportunity, and I was very excited and and pleased to receive the position. Oh, that's awesome. I actually have an episode this season with Casey Crispin, who runs the Riverside Farmers Market, which has a kind of this common thread of being by the river, farmers markets, food access. It seems to be a, you know, overlapping themes a little bit with people that are trying to take care of the city in similar ways and take care of the people that live here. So that's interesting that you have that kind of shared background with farmers markets. Yeah. um, You know, when I was looking at what I wanted my career to be, I tried to always have the grounding force of what's important for our society and uh, healthy food and water. Uh, You can't deny that we all need that. It's definitely drives my passion with my past organization and with One Truckee River now. So you mentioned cooperation with other agencies, and this is kind of a management plan that involves working with the city, with the water authority, with government entities, with private organizations. Can you just talk a little bit about the relationships with those different groups and who has authority? Have you had any pushback from anyone or has it been kind of a good way to bring everyone together just kind of under the same plan? What's that been like, the kind of partnerships and cooperation? It's been a real... Uh, enriched learning experience for myself. A lot of the times when I explain One Truckee River and it as a partnership, it seems a little lofty. I think it comes across as a little lofty in people's mind, and that's totally understandable. So I really like the word coalition. It is an alliance of different parties that work together to achieve a common purpose. So when we look at these large institutions like the jurisdictions and the Water Authority and NDEP, they're big. They do a lot of things for our society. Our coalition and the uh, staff members that are involved What we're trying to navigate through is prioritizing the river within the complexity of each of their agency's priorities. So sometimes that matches up, sometimes it doesn't, right? 
Mm-hmm. Having the management plan unanimously approved by all three jurisdictions is definitely a big step forward and helps us in our work. But then navigating, you know, how to go from a plan to implementation takes a lot of conversations. It takes a lot of negotiation. Where that all is centered is within uh, One Truckee Rivers Partnership Council, where we have 22 agencies involved. And that group meets quarterly. You know, there's uh, general conversations that happen in that context. And then the really get down to the meat of how people are going to contribute and collaborate to fulfill the implementation happens in smaller meetings. The Partnership Council evolved out of the core planning group that developed the plan just one step at a time, Parks and Rec and, um, you know, Washoe County Parks and Open Space. A, a lot of the times they don't get the bulk of the funding within their institution. There's a challenge that lies in that also. But then there's also inspiration to collaborate to get things done within the context of those challenges. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of the specific projects that OTR is working on. The one that has gotten some press lately that you have, I think, been prioritizing a bit or I've heard a lot about is the the Portland Loo, the restrooms that are being installed along the river. There's one, I think, installed already. There was conversation about another one coming soon, I think. Can you just talk about what the Portland Loo is? So it's a it's a bathroom, basically. The, we need bathrooms by the river. There are not enough of them, in my opinion. So can you talk about what a Portland Loo is? What does it look like? What are the features of it? And why do you think that we need more of these restrooms along the river? Okay, and I'll back up just a bit. At the end of 2017, the One Truckee River Partnership Council, they prioritized nine action item efforts out of uh, the management plan that has 103 action items identified in it. So that's definitely what we focus on. Increasing public restrooms along the Truckee River is one of those prioritized action items uh, with collaboration of over seven of our partners. We secured funding from Washoe County to purchase three Portland Loos. Tamwa was the one that purchased them and owns them. Yeah, we were successful in installing a Portland Loo at Broadhead Park in 2020. And we've also partnered with Karma Box and Rise to do outreach along the river in regards to homelessness. And, and that's connected to the bathrooms to uh, make sure that people know it's important to respect them. Also, the river cleaning up trash and that those kind of things. So, yes, uh, the city of Reno early this year approved the installation of the second loo at John Champion Park. And then, but scheduled for the city council of Reno to determine a location for the third one in downtown Reno. I didn't explain why they're important. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sorry. No, no, that's that's fine. I was going to say, I used to live in Portland and I saw the Portland Loos around Portland. There's a whole bunch of them. And I think one of the things that's cool about them is the features of them, that they are like graffiti resistant. They have no running water sink or anything on the inside. It's on the outside of the building, things like that. There are several features that my understanding as are in place to make sure that they are easy to maintain, easy to repair, those type of things. So can you talk a little bit about what's special about the Portland Loo compared to just, you know, a restroom? Yeah. I mean, I think it was really interesting. Um, from my understanding, the city of Portland was having a need for more public bathrooms and was looking around at private companies and they couldn't find one that fit a hard urban environment and the needs that arise in those situations. And so they developed the Portland Loo themselves and then it was so successful that they patented it and um, sell it to other cities. I believe now they have sold the whole kit and caboodle to a private company that then sells it now to other cities across the nation and the world. But yeah, they have some, they have grading on the top and the bottom. So there is privacy, but you on the outside can know if somebody is in the bathroom. And what this does, it helps to kind of have the general public police the bathroom. So, you know, you know somebody's in there. So if they're in there for a really long time, 
and you got to go, you're going to you know, start to communicate and advocate for them to uh, get on out of there so you can use it. Yeah, like you mentioned, the sinks on the outside. And then there's a blue light, too, that in theory uh, makes it hard for people to do any illicit activity in there. It's metal, so it's yeah easy to remove the graffiti. I think that, you know, we're satisfied with the three that we purchased and excited to install them, but they are very pricey and they're getting even more expensive with the cost of metals. So we have looked to the public restroom company that is a local Nevada company that builds and installs restrooms in Minden. It's likely that after these three, then we'll be looking at the public restroom company for the others. Oh, excellent. We were talking about kind of the need for public restrooms. Can you just talk a little bit about why we need more restrooms along the river? Who are there for? You know, why is that one of the action items that has kind of risen to the top of the priorities? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a concern of human impact on water quality from our key partners. You know, there's a a growing recreational need along the Truckee River with this region just continuing expanding. There has been recorded elevated E. coli levels in the river, um, not anything of great concern, but definitely caught the attention of our partnership. It's complicated to use the metric of E. coli in the river for this project because E. coli in the river can come in many different places and forms, birds and and wildlife. uh, They do their business, too. There, In the instance of Broadhead Park, we actually uh, had funding to track feces found on the ground for a month before and then a whole year after the installation of Broadhead feces in that park and around that restroom decreased by 73% once the restroom was installed. So it definitely has a positive impact. And yeah, I think that, you know, really if the vision is for this Truckee River to increase its ability to be a a natural resource that the general public enjoys And if we're going to do that, then, um, you know, restrooms support that because when you're in a natural environment uh, and you got to go, you need those public restrooms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the things I think is important about having the restrooms is it makes it not just keep the river itself cleaner and avoid, you know, waste ending up in the river, but also to draw people to use the river. Some people might not go to (laughs) hang out at the river because they know there's not a bathroom there, that the closest bathroom is you know, a half a mile away or something down the river. I mean, the bigger question is, how should we be using the river? There's all of these different types of uses. I am very much a like recreational hangout by the river, picnic, food truck Friday, that kind of use of the river. I really, really enjoy. How does One Truckee River balance the competing needs of the different kind of people who want to use the river? So there's these recreational uses. There is irrigation, there is like the maintaining the kind of natural beauty of the river, not, you know, developing right up to the edge of it. Are there particular priorities about how the river can and should be used that you take into account when you're figuring out the master plan? Mm, I would assume I wasn't involved when the plan was created, but I assume that that was part of the conversations that took place. Um, You know, I like to recognize that the Truckee River is heavily regulated by local, federal, state agencies. So the vision of one Truckee River is not to become another regulatory agency, but to work within the context of the existing regulatory agencies. We really try to center our work to be directly connected to the Truckee River and also connected to long-term solutions that affect the river. You know, if you look at the stretch of the river, it goes through a lot of different environments. And uh, just like parks, the river corridor is affected, and in many a times the environment around it is a reflection of the environment that is around that area also. Um, so if it's in, you know, an affluent community, it probably has less challenges. Um, As you move east of the river, you have, you know, the region's dump right along the river. 
that presents its own challenges. We focus on increasing bathrooms. We're preparing to do restoration and coordinated vegetation management. And that's really just directly rooted in that development and other things of that nature that affect it. I encourage everyone to be a part of those conversations. It's a humongous factor that has that is very complex. Yeah. And since the plan was adopted, Reno has been growing incredibly in recent years. A lot of people are moving here. There's a lot of development. There's a lot of building. Some of that is happening far away from the river. Some of it's happening relatively close to the river. Reno's growing a lot. And I always kind of frame a lot of my thinking and my questions in terms of how does the growth affect the thing that we're talking about? Every time we talk about growth in Reno and people moving here and development, there's all of these kind of downstream effects of how is it affecting housing prices? How is it affecting homelessness? How is it affecting the environment? And I also wonder, how is it affecting the river when we have a city that's constantly growing like this? And we've seen it happen over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Reno has been growing for a while. I imagine that we've seen some of these effects already. Basically, for a growing city in a growing region like Reno, have you seen some of those effects on the river? And what are we, or should we, be doing about that? I would assume that growth has had an effect on the Truckee River. You know, when a river is running through wilderness, that's a really thriving, healthy environment that the river needs. I think that the region addresses the growth and the need to protect the Truckee River. I have observed through um, my work thus far, it's about containment. You know, we want affordable housing. We want, you know, more housing for folks. We all drive our cars. We have, you know, to drive our cars, we need gas stations. Um, It's kind of the unconvenient truth of reality. And I see that the general solution to those challenges is about containment, you know, making sure that what's going on within a development site stays within that development site. There's some places where development is right up against a really steep slope, and then those could indirectly create erosion, which then creates sediment, and then that goes into the river. seems like the radar is on that with the government, and they do their best to balance those things. We are blessed to be downstream of Lake Tahoe. Truckee Meadows Water Authority actually just shared that we are in a good place right now with our water supply in general. So even though we live in the desert, us being downstream of the second deepest alpine lake in the nation is very much to our benefit. Addressing development has not been a priority of One Truckee River, even though I recognize it as a big element. What we do do is focus in on when the jurisdictions have individual processes on revising their codes, and we participate in those processes. I've found that to be very effective, that that has long-term impact. Getting down to the nitty-gritty, do we have a buffer of this size or larger? Do we require this of developers or not? Things of that nature are really important. And I think it's important to mention, whether it's new or old development, that no matter where you live in this region, what you do with your personal uh, landscape and yard has a lot to do with protecting the Truckee River also, because, you know, we live in a watershed and most of the streams go into the Truckee River. You know, when you have runoff in your yard, it most likely will go into a storm drain those storm drains go directly to a stream that goes directly to the Truckee River. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned kind of the the two sides of keeping the Truckee clean, where there's things that are going into the river, like the the pollution effects. But then the other side is the, the cleanup and the maintenance and the effort to clean up what has ended up in the river already. And I know that that's something you do as well, is partner with Karma Box, with the River Stewards Uh, I know there's these occasional river cleanup projects. Can you talk about kind of the other side of the keeping the river clean where, you know, we can't prevent everything from getting into the river, but we can work on, you know, cleaning it up. So what are kind of the efforts that you do around 
the the cleanup side. Yeah. And uh, before I get into that, I do want to recognize, right, like I think a lot of and, and it makes sense that when we see a lot of trash along the river, uh, that it's major concern. But then there's also things like phosphorus and nitrogen, as I was mentioning, that come a lot of the times from people's yards that are invisible, but are having an effect on the water quality. But the trash, you know, in certain areas is a horrible problem along the Truckee River. With the Truckee River Restroom Project, we built a collaboration with RISE and Karma Box Project, and they were both involved with outreach and education around Broadhead about the importance of caring for the river and making sure that your trash goes in the proper place. And that evolved into the Washoe County uh, River Stewards Program that Karma Box runs five days a week at 9 a.m. at Broadhead Park, right in front of the loo. There is a supervisor of the River Stewards Program, and they take four people that are unsheltered along the river, and they give them the opportunity to clean up trash with them for four hours, and then they get a gift certificate for their time and effort. And this has been a really successful way of keeping up with the trash along the river in that area, and then also building relationships with folks that are out there, supporting them to connect to services and, uh, you know, giving an opportunity for folks. And then, you know, it's about also building alliances within different populations. And so that does include also people that are unsheltered. Mm-hmm. And then I, I want to mention, too, that the trash along the river comes from a lot of different people, obviously, is an output of somebody that encamps along the river. But then also kind of, you know, just knowing the topic in more detail over the last uh, few years, it's become clear that people that want to donate to folks that are homeless will many times go to the river and drop off their donation. If somebody isn't right there to receive that donation, then many a times that donation just becomes trash. And so I really like to encourage people if they're going to donate anything to bring it to Salvation Army, Goodwill, our place, places where we will ensure that it doesn't become trash along the river. Illegal dumping just in general is an issue in our region. And uh, that happens along the Truggy River, unfortunately, too. Do you think that sometimes the perception that a lot of the trash in the river is caused by the unhoused community is ignoring the fact that a lot of times it is not the unhoused community, it is just illegal dumping or people that are trying to leave a donation or something, um, which is not the fault of, of our unhoused population? Do you think that sometimes they get maybe a worse rap for trash by the river than maybe is warranted or that we're not considering all of those other methods of trash ending up in the river? Yeah, I like to uh, say that, you know, when somebody says, oh, it's the folks that are homeless along the river producing the trash, or somebody will say it's illegal dumping, you know, that's half true, right? It's half true because it's a combination of all of those things. So I won't deny that our unhoused population creates trash along the river, but they are not the only culprit in the dynamic of it. And then I think also we need to recognize that people that are unhoused are just like the average person. Also, you have some out there that only have a few things and keep their stuff really tight. And then you have other folks out there that are like, you know, your grandma and they have uh, or they're bordering on having a hoarding issue. And so, you know, it kind of, we, you know, we can't assume that everybody fits into one category. I've noticed that, yeah, you know, if you don't have anything and people keep offering you free things, there's a very easy tendency for people to be like, oh, you know, keep on to all of the things because they don't have it, even though it, it might not make sense because you don't have a house to put all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's, you know, it's definitely a more complicated issue, the trash along the river than we see. And then also, as I mentioned, we have the dump. And so, you know, I've heard of people seeing that there's trash that flies from the dump into the river too. Just when people, you know, go with their pickup trucks to unload that, if the wind picks that up, then that can also be a culprit to that dynamic. 
Mm-hmm. You mentioned the the runoff from houses, pivoting kind of back to the sources of various types of pollution, including the invisible stuff. There's a river-friendly living and yards initiative. Part of the goal, like you said, is to let people know about how their household runoff is contributing to pollution in the river, what things contribute to pollution that people might not be considering, right? Things that are happening in your yard that you don't realize directly affect the river. Yeah, we have just updated our River Friendly Living link on our website. If you go to OneTruckyRiver.org and then go under the tab, What You Can Do, then you're going to see our River Friendly Living page, which has a lot of different things that people, everybody could do to help protect the Truckee River. Everything from the type of laundry detergent that you use to, you know, yards and how we take care of our yards has a great impact. Fertilizer is a, a big thing. Um, it's good for your plants, but when you over fertilize and then that um, you water and then that excess fertilizer goes into our water system, it can decrease oxygen within the river. And then that's what creates those algae blooms. Making sure that you use the right amount of fertilizers. I personally like to encourage organic fertilizers because they usually are not as concentrated. And then to make sure that your water stays on site as much as possible and, um, and, and safe for your house. I mean, obviously we don't want water going up to the base of your house, but you want to try to utilize all your water on site so that there is not runoff because that helps to conserve water. And then also it helps to ensure that what you put on your yard stays in your yard. Mm -hmm. How much of the impact environmentally on the river do you think comes from individuals versus bigger entities or businesses, those kind of things? One of the things I appreciate about the truck is we don't have like it's not an industrial river. I just went on a, a vacation to New Orleans, you know, right on the Mississippi. And um, that is a very, very dirty river because it is used for heavy industry basically all the way up. And our river, I don't believe, has any of those kind of significant big environmental impacts by any kind of big industry. But is there an impact on the river that is less manageable by personal individual decisions? This is always one of the debates that I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here. <laughs> this is always one of these debates that comes up about personal responsibility for things when there's actually like large scale industrial polluters. So it's like, you know, recycle your soda can while, you know, some big company is dumping toxins in a river. Do you think those dynamics are at play at all in the Truckee or is it less affected by big industry that it really makes our personal decisions more impactful here than it might be for other parts of the country or other rivers? Yeah, I mean, I totally hear that argument. And I think we need to think of it collectively. So one yard is not going to have an significant impact on the Truckee River. But if you look at all of the private property put together, it has a significant impact on the river. And as the Truckee River doesn't have a lot of industry along it, it does have some. I forget the name, but there is a metals company that is right along the river up in Verdi. And then it's not as close. But then, you know, when you get into Sparks, the river goes through the industrial part also. And I think what is overlooked a lot of the times, too, is when you have industry along the river, it uh, makes it harder to have a thriving social environment along the river. Think of like Idlewild Park versus, you know, yeah, where the right along waste management is a different environment. Information I've learned from just reading up about the history of the Truckee River, wood mills, that was a humongous impact on the river back in the 1800s. And so the river is in definitely a better place than it was then. Mm -hmm. um, it was definitely all used for that. And then, you know, we had the railroad that was put right along the Truckee River. And that, I think, also deters for that thriving environment uh, to be along there. Mm -hmm. One of one of my favorite things that I've seen happen since I have lived in Reno, you know, I was born and raised here. And when I was a kid downtown by the river, 
there was it was not really a prime recreational area. It's only in recent what I don't know, fifteen years ago, something like that, that they did the whole Riverwalk district and made that a desirable place for people to go and visit. And it uh, has really changed the entire dynamic of that area. Do you think that that is something we should be doing more of? Is there more opportunity to do that along the river, maybe further downstream to, you know, take on these bigger projects to shift the river from being ignored or underutilized, we'll say, into being more recreationally desirable, which in turn makes people more likely to want to protect it and take care of it. Yeah, most definitely. And I think we're on a new chapter that we've just started. Like you mentioned in the past, you know, I think in the 1800s, the river um, and its ecological use was not uh, realized. It was very much right about utilizing it for survival, utilizing it to get rid of waste. And that kind of just kept on snowballing to what you mentioned is ignoring it, you know, where we have buildings that are still today having the back of their building to the river instead of their front, like the Riverwalk does so nicely. When they embarked on developing the White Water Park in downtown Reno, I mean, it, it's really, that's to me when that new chapter started, you know, when I hear about the development of that project, it was them dealing with a lot of folks at that time that felt like, what? People can't go in the Truckee River. You know what? We can't, that's not a resource for people to enjoy. And so that Whitewater Park uh, really flipped the switch. And and I think it did a, a, a beautiful job of helping to revitalize downtown Reno also. And so that just needs to continue. And I think that people really embrace it nowadays and they want to see it continue. But it's complicated because you have the legacy of not valuing and ignoring the river that we have to work against. Things are established and they have to be reworked to create the environment like uh, Idlewild Park has. Mm hmm. Yeah. Do you think part of it is like, and if you build it, they will come, right? If you, if you fix up the river and you make it desirable, then people come to it. Or is it more of an education aspect and getting people on board and kind of selling this vision of what the river could and should be to get people invested? I think it's all of the above. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, yeah, I've learned a lot about researching parks and, you know, how they're affected and a thriving park, just like any area along the river. It works when you have people going through it many different times of the day for different reasons. So in a lot of senses, parks aren't the destination, but they're part of the journey of somebody's day. And if you hit that for multiple people in multiple different ways, then that's where you start to have a thriving park. When I think of the river, I think of a lot of the times the parks that are along it. So you can see like at the Idlewild Park, there is a variety of different people going through that park at different times of the day. And it, I think it creates a diverse, thriving environment that is realistic for our modern times. And then as you get like further east of the, the river, you know, there's no reason for anybody to go into that area. So then that's what creates it to, you know, it, it makes it more complicated to protect something when people aren't just naturally accessing it for different reasons. Yeah. And this is the time for me to shout out one of the best and most important books on planning the Death and Life of Great American Cities by Jane Jacobs, which it almost feels like you quoted there for a second about various uses of public spaces by different people at all different times of the day. That's kind of the the core of any successful city park environment in general. So very glad that you uh, that you mentioned that because it gave me an opportunity to plug, I think, one of the most important books about how we build cities. Yes, thank you for doing that. And you are correct. <laughs> that is where I've gained a lot of my information yeah, about that. Really, really. I recommend it, recommend it all the time to people. You mentioned the the coordinated vegetation effort, and I'm curious what that is. So is that about restoring vegetation along the river? Can you just talk a little bit about what that project is and who's involved in making it happen? 
Yeah, it's another one of our prioritized action items. So in 2020, Nevada Land Trust, one of our key partners, got funding from Brew of Reclamation to lead a two-year process of developing a coordinated vegetation management plan with all relevant parties. And so we have started a technical working group. Through that, we've developed a draft framework plan Managing vegetation along the Truckee River is a very complicated topic, and there are key agencies that have different priorities in that topic, and many a times their priorities uh, don't align. And so it makes it really complicated. So for instance, just an example of that, we have the Carson Truckee Water Conservation District, and they are responsible for ensuring that the flow of the Truckee River continues so that it doesn't get backed up in any way and create a flood. They appreciate willows along the river because water can just move through the that type of species, but they don't allow more cottonwood trees to be planted along the river. You can replace a cottonwood tree, but you can't put any new ones because that tree grows really big. Even it is native, but it grows really big and then the branches fall and then that can impede water. But then let's look at the police departments of the jurisdictions. They like to have line of sight so that they can see what people are doing And then when there is trash, you know, they are involved with cleaning that up. Willows make it really hard to clean up and see people sometimes. Cottonwoods, not a problem. Mm. (laughs) So, yeah, that's just kind of, you know, in the weeds of it. But just to give you an example, yeah, we have the three jurisdictions. We have Carson Truckee Water Conservation District. We have state lands. There are a lot of agencies involved. And we, uh, Nevada Land Trust, hired SWCA environmental consultants. And so they're supporting the bulk of this work. Part of this effort evolved into getting funding from the Truckee River Fund to do a broadhead restoration plan for that area. Within the framework plan is a, we like to call it a cookbook for restoration. So how do we go about restoring vegetation in the urban core? This Broadhead Restoration Project is testing out our cookbook. And we hope for that to evolve into more restoration. Right now, we're embarking on going to all of the agencies and getting their final input on the framework plan. And we hope that the jurisdictions and other agencies that make sense to adopt the plan and then continue with the collaboration that's been developed with the technical working group to really identify areas that are in need of restoration and prioritize those. Mm-hmm. And we didn't talk about it earlier, but kind of what is the focus on what areas, both for the vegetation efforts, but just in general, that you are prioritizing? Obviously, we've been talking a lot about the parks and kind of the urban core and the the places where people are most likely to be using the river on the day-to-day. But like you mentioned, the river runs from Lake Tahoe all the way to Pyramid Lake. So I'd like to talk a little bit about kind of the downstream effects of all of the things that we're doing, not just figuratively, but literally the downstream effects of the Truckee River. It all ends up at Pyramid Lake. So what are the concerns and the partnerships that you've made kind of with our indigenous communities with people who really value the lake, the pyramid lake that is, and what goes into those partnerships and that thinking? Like what are what are the thoughts around the ultimate end of the Truckee River where everything does end up? What kind of work is done at that end of the river? Well, the Reno Sparks Indian Colony and the Paiute Tribe are partners within our One Truckee River Partnership Council. So we definitely work to coordinate with them um, as much as possible. I would say that One Truckee River is focused on the urban core of the Truckee River. I think that has come to be because there are other groups that do amazing work along the Truckee River, one being the Truckee River Watershed Council in California, in the city of Truckee. They do amazing restoration work in the upper Truckee River before it gets into Nevada. 
And then, yeah, the Paiute tribe does amazing work with their section of the river and uh, Pyramid Lake. You know, the need is in the urban area. But anything that we do to improve the Truckee River upstream will help downstream. Mm -hmm. What are the long-term hopes or goals for One Truckee River and the Truckee? We've been talking a little bit about kind of how it's changed in the past, but are there any, you know, what are the big dreams? What are the big goals? What's the way down the line vision for what you'd like the river to be or how you'd like to change or what the real long-term priorities might be? I think that the priorities that we have, and just to mention, um, so we have, like you said, increasing public restrooms, vegetation management, including restoration, also working to address nonpoint pollution with what everybody does in this region that can affect water quality. There is another prioritized action item that we don't lead, but our partners do, is increase the continuum of housing and services available for folks that are homeless. Because at the end of the day, you know, we need to start to, and, and our region has, but needs to more address, you know, the roots of homelessness and move away from just uh, shuffling people to different parts of the river. You know, those just within themselves, they could be 50 years of work, probably to be realistic. But I would say, you know, the vision of the management plan being fully executed would probably look something like how Idlewild Park looks, but on every part of the river. Our Truckee River is actually a pristine river uh, water within the state of Nevada. So I do uh, like to recognize that if you look at other water sources in Nevada, the Truckee River is looking pretty good. But it doesn't mean that we should ignore that it's really important to protect it. Mm -hmm. And how can people get involved or learn more about One Truckee River for just the, the typical person? What can they do to make sure the river stays clean or if they want to get involved and take a more active role in protecting the river or utilizing it in a better way? How would you recommend people participate or get involved or get informed? Well, to learn more about what you can do for the Truckee River, you can go to our website, onetruckeeriver.org, and go to uh, what you can do. And then that will lead you to our River Friendly Living page, which has a lot of very specific and then also broader things that everybody can consider to do to protect the Truckee River. Everything from, um, you know, the laundry detergent you use to how you manage your yard in your residence. You know, I think on a broader level, being engaged, being civically engaged to speak for the Truckee River is something that I always like to encourage. And I know that that's a long road. It's, you know, sitting in a lot of boring meetings usually. <laughs> and um, in general, I noticed a real pessimistic view that many have that their voice, it doesn't matter. Uh, what's the point? And I totally recognize why people are coming from that place. But I think in general, we underestimate our voice. And I have seen that when many people have the same voice and they speak it, it is heard. So yeah, I encourage people to kind of just stay on top of issues that affect the Truckee River and don't be shy, you know, and, and if you go to a public meeting, you need to actually speak at public comment for people to know what you think. Um, I think that's kind of something that's underlooked too. A lot of the times people are so intimidated by that democratic right that we all have because it's not really normalized that we participate on an ongoing basis with that topic, but it's there. And, you know, I encourage everybody to utilize it. It's your right. And it, you know, it is important to share what you think with your local government mm -hmm. and, you know, and also state and federal. Yeah. And I will second that. I have seen a lot of action taken because of public comment. I've seen, you know, when there are issues that people really start paying attention to and we have these kind of big waves of public comment, 
that ends up on the news. That ends up influencing our elected officials. So I will strongly second that we need to actively participate, you know, and actually use our voices when we're trying to push for the things that we want. So I appreciate that being part of the the solution that you suggest. Did we cover everything? What else would you like people to know about the Truckee River? It's 85% of our drinking water. So I I just recently learned that we only take about 3% of the water out of the Truckee River for our 85% of our drinking water. But, you know, there you go. It's our lifeblood to this region. So you can't deny the importance of the Truckee River. Whatever is put into the Truckee River, Truckee Meadows Water Authority needs to take out. And so the less we have to take out, the better water quality your drinking water will have. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that's that is important. That's good to know. And one of the things that I greatly appreciate about the Reno area is that we have great tap water. And that is a result of the clean Truckee River. Yes, most definitely. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Iris. It was really great to talk to you and learn more about the river. Like I said, it's one of my favorite things about Reno. It's something that I value so, so, so much. I live near the river. I walk by the river. I float down the river in the summer. You know, I drink the tap water in Reno. So it's very, very important to me that we're taking care of it. And I appreciate all the work that you're doing to do that and, you know, collaborating with all of these different people and organizations to make sure that we are valuing the river as we should. So thank you so much for taking the time to tell me about what you're doing over there at One Truckee River. Thank you so much for having me. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Renoites, and special thanks to my guest, Iris Jaylee Papard, for coming on the show to talk all about one of my favorite things about Reno, the Truckee River, and thanks for all of the work that she is doing to help protect it. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and help spread the word about Renoites. I've been doing this podcast a little bit over a year. I continue to find new listeners, but most people in town have no idea that this podcast even exists. Even if they're regular daily podcast listeners, they probably don't even know that there is a weekly interview show all about Reno. So tell your friends, tell your family, share posts on social media. The best thing that you can do, and it's free, is hit that share button on my social media post to let your network know about this podcast makes a huge difference. Word of mouth means everything to me, and I'm very grateful to all of my listeners who help spread the word about Renoites. That's all I've got for you this week. See you next time. (laughs) 